talking about discipleship in the church. And yesterday, our hope was to establish that whatever our plan looks like, we, we should have some sort of plan. Um, even if that plan is something very informal. To ha- there, there must be an answer to our question, how do you disciple people once they are saved into this, you know, into this church? We should have an answer. This is um, something that I thought was really helpful. I, I am a big fan of churches having a mission statement, a short, easy mission statement. And from that mission statement, you build pretty much everything you do. In, in other words, everything a church does should fit um, under that umbrella of our mission statement. So ours is Emmaus Road Church exists to make disciples who delight in, display, and declare the gospel of Jesus. Um, that's, our, that's our mission statement as a church. And so every, every new program, every new idea, every event, we need to be able to explain how it fits into our mission. So that's, that's actually not even in my notes. That's just something I want to, it might sound cheesy or tacky, as we would say, like, oh, you don't need a mission statement. I, I think they're actually very helpful. Um, very helpful, uh, because it, it gives us direction. And as we are thinking through what we should be doing as a church, we're asking, does this fit into our mission? There's another church kind of in the same area as us. There, it's in a town called Moscow. Not Moscow, Russia. <laughs> Moscow, Idaho. And the church's mission statement is, all, all of Christ for all of life for all of Moscow. So basically, we want Jesus to impact every life in every way in our city. And so they're able to uh, discern new ideas and, and new programs and, and that sort of thing through filtered through that mission statement. I think, I think that's a helpful way to think. Um, so at any rate, when we're doing discipleship, we talked about I gave you my idea for discipleship groups yesterday, and um, again, I just want to emphasize that's that's not that's not the right way to do it. Um, I was even thinking about this this morning. You guys brought up, you know, if we're in a larger group of people, five, seven, nine people, you know, men who are a good group together, and we're doing this, you know, could that work? And I was thinking this morning. I just have, I have no idea how, you know, in where, where, I, where I'm coming from, people are, people have very, um, very regimented schedules, so it's like, I must be to work at this time, I get off work at this time, there's not a lot of flexibility, and, our, and, we, and we protect our weekends very closely, so um, it is so common for people in the U.S. to miss church, the church gathering, because weekend is time to go play. We go camping, we go visit some other town, that sort of thing. But if it was possible, you know, I was thinking a larger group of eight, nine, ten guys even, there's no reason that 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 could be a discipleship group if they had like, hey, we spend every Saturday morning together. You know, maybe you have a few hours to sit and drink coffee and um, just catch up and be together. So if you had a longer period of time. So anyway, I'm, I just kind of created that example in my mind to, to, to say, um, 
I, I just really, what I want for you men is to think through what, what would work for you in your context, in your setting. It might not be a group of three men or three women. It might be, it might be something a little bit different, and that's okay. I just, I just hope this is helping you to begin to think about it. Um, in, a couple of, in a couple of sessions, we're just going to have a, a, another key, a question and answer conversation time about discipleship, so if you have any big questions about it, just write them down and um, save it for that. But we're gonna we're gonna do session 12, I'm sorry, 11 right now. I'm going to, similarly, as I presented discipleship groups yesterday, I'm gonna share community groups with you today. And you're like, how many different groups do you guys have? <laughs> just, just the two, uh, I'll go through that. Uh, but first, and I don't really know how this fits in, it's just, it, I just, in my, in my reading this morning, um, just, a, just an excellent thought that I just wanted to share with you all. You've probably all thought this before, but I just thought, you know, I have not read the story of the Queen of Sheba in a long time. It's like, I should, I'm here. I should read it while I'm here. And so I read, I read the story of, of her going to see Solomon, both out of First Kings and then again out of, I think, Second Chronicles 9, right? I think. And, um, and it, it was, it was, fun and refreshing to read it, but one thing I just noticed, you know, Solomon, um, as you know, he is a, in many ways, he prefigures Christ. He, he's the all-wise king. Um, under his rule, there was great uh, prosperity for the nation. He cared for his people. He understood, I mean, even, even the language that takes us back to the garden, where he understood the natural world, he understood animals, he could explain all these things and all these mysteries. Um, Solomon was David's son. Israel was at its best when Solomon was king, from everything we can tell. The nation was doing great. Everyone, everyone came and brought tribute to him. That's another way he prefigures Christ, is because that, uh, Christ uh, requires tribute from the nations. So anyway, Solomon is a type, or he prefigures Christ. But it was interesting, as I was reading, what especially stuck out to me was that when the queen, you know, the queen heard about Solomon and, and how wise he was, and she came to him to challenge him. The scripture says she came so that she could ask him hard questions. And, um, and he answered every question. And as this text says, she had no breath left in her. And she said, I had heard about you, but my words, my translation basically, I, I had no idea how wise you truly were, how great you truly were. I, I had not heard half of how great you truly are. And I just, and so as I'm thinking about Solomon as a, as a figure of our Savior, of Jesus, isn't, isn't that our experience in conversion? And as we grow, we hear about Jesus. We think about, if you can, think back to when you were an enemy of God. And you heard about Jesus, you heard about uh, what he had done in his message, and you thought he wanted to challenge it. <laughs> There's no way that... And so you argued, maybe, and you raised hard questions, but once God opened your eyes to truly see him, there was no breath left in you. And you thought, I didn't understand half of how great you were. I just, that just struck me this morning as I was reading that. Is that's, we've encountered the, the, you know, what did Jesus say? Uh, you all love Solomon, but something greater than Solomon is here. He was talking about himself. We've encountered the greater Solomon and he takes our breath away. And we had no idea how great he truly is until, we actually, until we've actually encountered him and seen him. 
So anyway, I just wanted to share that with you all this morning. I thought that was a neat connection. But if, if, that's, if, her, if the habit of asking hard questions, if you all have inherited that, please don't do it today. <laughs> because I don't have the right, the, my brain in the right place to answer hard questions. <laughs> and I am not wise. So um, let's talk about community groups. Let me just tell you what they are. We, we say at our church we have three levels or three tiers of discipleship. The Sunday gathering, and the Sunday gathering is discipleship. Um, it's discipleship for the entire church at once. We're discipling the entire body. Um, I like the way Jeff Perswell has said it. We are dropping the plumb line on everyone at once. You understand a plumb line? And it's a construction term. It's the long cord that has some powder on it. When you need to measure or cut a perfect line, you attach it to one end, you stretch it way out, and then you lift it up and you drop it. And it goes, and it leaves a, it leaves a perfect line for you to, to cut on. Anyway, it, it, it's like that's what he means. The Sunday is the, when we drop the plumb line on everyone. It's a discipleship moment for the entire church. The second level of discipleship is our community groups. We talked about discipleship groups first. That's, the, that's kind of like the most intimate, you know, three to five people setting. And those meet once a week. Our community groups are kind of, kind of somewhere in between. Ooh, do I get to write? Oh, I do get to write. Um, our community groups are somewhere in between. Here's what they are. <coughs> Excuse me. Our community groups meet in someone's home. Um, we do them every two weeks right now. We just, don't, we just don't have the ability to do them every week. Every two weeks, they meet in someone's home. It's the same group in the same home every time. So we, we, our people are divided, usually based on their schedule. We have, two group, we have one group on Tuesday, two groups on Wednesday, two groups on Thursday. And um, they meet in someone's home, and they follow the same basic format. But they're, they're, not quite, they're not as large as the Sunday gathering, and they're not quite as small as the discipleship groups. They're, they're usually 8 to 14 people. Uh, adults, rather. We have children join as well. And we have, a, we have a very intentional purpose for our time together in community groups, which I'll go over in just a moment. But, bef but before I do, let me tell you why this is so helpful to us, especially as a church plant at the start. I told you yesterday, we, when we planted, we had no money, and that's true. We, we just, we planted the church and we started tithing. So we had very little resources. This is free. This costs nothing. Um, and that's not the only reason we did it, but it was we, what we've learned now, because now we do have some resources, we do have some money in the bank, but we, we would not trade this for anything. When we started with our community groups and discipleship groups, uh, as the saying goes in the U.S., they have become our bread and butter. In other words, they're very basic to what we do. And people love being part of our community groups and discipleship groups. Um, so I think even if we had all the money in the world, we would, we would still do these. Because people have found um, many churches in the United States are very impersonal. They're very impersonal. So they don't, they don't press into your life. They're not really concerned with how you're doing. It's, they, just, they make a big event. Of, I'm speaking very generally. This is not all churches. This is a lot of churches. They make a big deal out of Sunday, but there's really nothing in addition. These two systems, discipleship groups and community groups, they, they give us an opportunity to, to form better relationships. Let me, let me just walk you through what we do at these. 
Um, this is just kind of the why, but I'm giving you all that now. We're members of each other. Um, we want to grow in relationship together. Here, here's what we do. Every, every community gr uh, group, no matter where they meet or on which night, we always share a meal together. Um, this is something that I think the rest of the world, not, I'm, again, I shouldn't say that, that a lot of other places in the world un understand probably better than, I think we are just learning this in the United States, that sharing a meal with someone is a big deal. It's a, that, that's where, that's where, um, that's where relationships grow. That there's, uh, when you think of hospitality and um, serving somebody, it's really hard to think of something better than come to my house and sit at my table and eat food with me. Uh, that, that's, that's a really big deal. And so it, it's not just, we are not trying to just attract people with food. You know, we have a lot of college students who don't have a lot of money and if you know anything about college students, they will take free food anytime they can get it. So, uh, so they, oh yeah, I'll show up if there's food. No, that's not why we do it. We do it because we're, we're not having theological discussions during the meals. We're not talking about scripture necessarily during the meals. We are just eating together. And just like, just like we had breakfast this morning uh, with, with some of I, that, that's been some of my favorite part of being here this week is just sitting with you guys and eating and, um, I think, I think more is happening in those moments than we realize. Think about it down to the details of like, I'm going to put food in my mouth and talk to you. And it's a very uh, uh, transparent thing. It's like uh, watching somebody eat is not flattering, you know? So it, it really is a very like intimate thing to share food with somebody, to share, a, to share the bowl with them and to share the plate with them. And I don't, I don't know if you've read or heard of a woman named Rosaria Butterfield. That would not be a traditional Ethiopian name. Um, do, do you know who she is? Have you heard that name, Rosaria Butterfield? She, she, um, she is a woman, she's a, a, a strong believer. She was formerly, she was living as a lesbian and was a, a professor at an Ivy League school and was very well, very liberal, you could say, in, in her ideology and lifestyle. I, if I'm, her long story short is that she, I believe she was, she was converted into, and saved into like a, a reformed Presbyterian church. And I believe she ended up, mar didn't she marry a pastor? Does that ring a bell? At any rate, she wrote a book called Hospitality Comes with a House Key. Like a key to a house. Hospitality Comes with a House Key. And, she, and this is what the book is all about, and at least in my context, it, it, it speaks to people so loudly when we, inter, when we interact with them beyond Instagram and beyond Facebook. When I say, no, actually come to my house. Come see the mess that my children have made. Come sit at my table and eat food with me. That, pe people are caught off guard by that. They're not prepared for that. And it really speaks to their hearts. And, and it sounds so simple. Yeah, we're just sharing a meal, but I'm, but I'm telling you, it is, a, it, it is a big gateway into people's lives and into, and into their hearts to share a meal with them. So we, we, so we do that regularly. We always share a meal together. Like the way we do it, it like my, I host a community group, one of, the, one of our five groups I host, my wife and I host. 
we always provide the main dish, whatever we're eating, and we tell everybody else, everybody else signs up to bring like a side dish or something to contribute. And that's helpful too, because if I'm just feeding you all the time, uh, I mean, that's okay, but it, it, it's actually, I, need, I want to give you an opportunity to serve. So when you come and you bring something to the table, there's some ownership over what is going on. You're, you're more invested. It's like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm a part of this. These are my people. Um, this is an important event. So I, I, think there, I think there's actually a wonderful theology of food and meals. I mean, it, it's something, abs- I mean, you, you guys seeing Jesus, thank you? Your blood has washed away my sin, Jesus, thank you. Once your enemy, now seated at your table. Yep, and I think of when David became king, and do you remember what he, uh, he it was Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth, the, the cripple. And if you remember, he called him his own son, and Mephibosheth ate at David's table with him. And I just think that's a, that's a wonderful image of adoption into the family of the king. And, but, but the most intimate example they could give was eating at the table with him. So I just, meals are a big deal. Uh, but let me, meals are, are meals a pretty big deal here? Is that like a pretty important event for families, for friends? Tell me, just tell me about that. I just love to hear. Tell me about that. It, it communicates love to somebody. Is, is, that, is that pretty accurate from everybody else's perspective? Meals are a, a big part of your culture? I, I just want to encourage you all, don't, don't take that for granted because there are parts of the world where people don't do that. So if you have that here, please preserve that. And, and that will serve you as you minister to people in your churches. It really will. There, there's a concept that, kind, you know, Eating is something we all have to do. There are certain things we all have to do. We need to go to the store. We need to, you know, we take our kids to the park, you know, whatever, to play with other children, that sort of thing. If there are things you can do with other people in your church, you should do it. It's like, we all have to eat anyway. Let's do it together. You know, hey, I need to go to the store. Do you want to come with me? Let's go together. You know, I mean, just, just find ways in everyday life to, to cause your lives to overlap with the people in your churches, I guess is 
what I would say. Um, have meals together. Well, let, let, me, I'll, let me continue. So we always have a meal together, and that's always how we start. Very specifically, we tell people, show up at 6 p.m. We, we will start eating at 6.30, and then we eat for like one hour. We spend just at the table or in, and in my living room, wherever. And then, and then we kind of, once we finish eating, we, um, yeah, we share, we just share life updates. So all that means is we, we kind of gather, we gather in my living room, we pull chairs in, extra chairs, and we just say, okay, hey, what's going on? What's going on in life? Any major updates? And it might be something like, you know, so-and-so, oh, I, I, I applied for this job two weeks ago. I got the phone call. Yes, they hired me. We got the job. Awesome. We celebrate. We praise God for that. Um, oh, we're expecting another child. Awesome. We praise God for that. My mother is sick and in the hospital. Oh, you know, so we're, we're just, we're hearing major updates from people um, as far as what is going on in their lives. And you'll notice if you do something like this, um, some people are just very quiet, you know, and they don't always share. And you don't, you want to be careful to just put somebody on the spot. So, hey, what's going on with you? It's like, that's, you want, you want, you want, well, you need to know your people well enough to know if you can do that or not. Um, but yeah, we spend some time just updating each other on what's going on in our lives. Um, oh, yeah, this. So here, okay, whoever's leading the community group is always, is always looking for opportunities for the people in the community group to serve each other. So, so let me put it this way. The community group is like, in our church, it's the first line of defense, we say. So let me give you an example. Um, if there's a single mother in our community group and she has a big need, you know, she, there's some, something's wrong. She, she needs a ride to the doctor's take, to take her child to, the, to, to a doctor's appointment or something like that. We, we, don't, we don't start by, like, contacting the entire church. Hey, can anybody do this? We start with a community group. So, our, our, again, I said this yesterday, our community groups are like mini, mini, miniature versions of the church. They're church mini. So we kind of treat them like that. We, we care, the community groups care for each other kind of on the, on the, deepest, on the deepest level. So before, before we would, you know, ask the entire church for help, we would ask the community group for help. Um, same for if somebody, you know, their landlord ha is selling the apartment that they're renting and they need to move to a new place. The community group is going to come to load up all of their belongings into our trucks and help them move. Like, that would land on us. So the community group leader is constantly looking for these opportunities to serve each other and he's hearing them mostly in this life updates section. Um, and, he just, and he just asks, some, oh, our landlord is we have two weeks to leave. Community group leader asks, how can we help you? What do you need? Because people won't always ask for help. Do pe are people eager to ask for help here? No? Well, stop it. <laughs> so they wouldn't. They wouldn't ask for help.
can I just insist once and jump straight? You said three times. Can I just jump straight to the third time? This is so interesting to me, you guys. How, it, it, it really, I'm, it is, this is very interesting to me. Um, because in the United States, people take free help all the time. <laughs> it's like we're, we're looking for somebody to work for us. Um, so that is so interesting. So think, think about in your church context. It, it is good that we help each other. Would we all agree with that? I mean, I mean, just consider the example I gave of like a single mother who needs help. She needs a ride, she needs help moving into a new apartment, whatever but maybe she's too proud to ask for help. What, how are you gonna deal with that? And, and I'm actually, I'd love, I'd love to hear idea. I'd love to talk about this. How are you gonna, how are you going, because here's the, because you, you guys, Christianity and, and, and a healthy church is countercultural to, to, to my culture in many ways that probably don't apply to you and vice versa. This is one area where I think you all will face a challenge that I won't face as much. I think people are a lot more, uh, it's easier for people in my situation to ask for help. How are you guys going to deal with that? Would, would somebody, this single mother who I've created in my mind, at a community group, would she even share the hard thing she's facing? Here's, here's, here's a question then. If you have the single mother who needs help, for example, um, do you think maybe in your context it would be better rather than, you know, you know, hey, well, how, you know, here, here, there's a difference between these two things. Ready? How can I help you? Okay. And we're going to help you. So, so with some people, you just you just need to say, okay, we're going to help you. We'll be at your house at this time to pack you up and move. You know. Would would it be offensive to just insist to say we're coming to help you? They, they would they would probably be grateful. They just they'd have a hard time saying so. Um, James, how is it in the South? I'm curious. Like. Do people ask for help in the South and, re and receive it? Yeah, I don't think we're especially different from here. Like, they kind of just depend on, it just depends on the level of friendship. Mm -hmm. Like, if someone that I don't really know well at all is in need of yeah. uh, normal 
Otherwise, you'll lie. No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just a Yep, that's right. It, 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 it is humbling, isn't it? Yep. Um, these are the sorts of, th so these are the sorts of things to think through. How can you best serve your people um, in this setting? So, but, uh, and part of this too is, again, is just education. When, if you have something like a community group, you just make it an expectation that this is part of what we do. We get together and we share what's going on in our life. And the more, comfor the more comfortable you are with people, um, you'll get better at asking questions too. So if somebody says, you know, oh, things are okay. Well, what they, you just told me that things are not okay. That's, I can hear in you that things are not okay. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna press a little bit. Like, oh, is something wrong? Something wrong at work? You know, whatever. But anyway, you learn to read your people. You see, all of this necessitates that you have actual relationship with your people. Which, which, coming back to the question, whenever it was yesterday, the day before, yesterday, I think, I'm a fan of smaller churches because we have to actually know each other, not personally. Um, so we have a meal together. We always share life updates. We always make prayer a staple of our time together. Um, if the group is so is huge, we'll divide into two or three groups, and we'll break up and we'll just pray for one another. And it's just, what's the best way to pray for you today or this week? Um, Someone will share what's going on in their life, and we'll spend some time actually praying for them. You know what we started doing, actually? Um, I downloaded WhatsApp to come here, because I'm aware, you know, I'm, I have, I'm aware that WhatsApp is pretty good anywhere in the world. I mean, a lot of people use it. And then I thought, hey, I just had, a, I, I had an idea. Hmm. Uh, the, little, the little gray cells were working. And we created a WhatsApp chat room for our community group. So that now at any point in the week, and people are used, are you starting to use it? It's awesome. I can get on there, you know, hey, community group, this, you know, this just happened. You know, I just lost my job, whatever. This just happened. I'm not in a good place. Would, would somebody please pray for me right now? And, and, like, someone will, like, immediately respond and pray in real time. And, like, and we all, you know, we're all hearing it on the chat. So it's a great way just to keep, in, like, during the week. We, our community group is keeping up with each other and praying for each other. It's awesome. It's awesome. Um, yeah, more, more on that later. But we break up and we spend time praying for one another. And then the last thing we do, uh, this emphasis on truth, all I mean by that, we, do, we revisit the text from Sunday. Um, and, uh, oh, you'll recognize these. There's my four questions. We'll revisit the text from Sunday and we'll... we'll the, the point of revisiting, revisiting this text from Sunday is that we dive in a little bit deeper in terms of, okay, how does this change our life today? Like, we talked about this on Sunday. Um, 
and, and we can speak very intentionally. So, I mean, if, if one of the major emphases of the text was on having, um, was a godly response to anger, like we're not going to have anger, okay, what does that mean for the person in my community group who just lost his job or whose neighbor just stole his whatever, you know, that sort of thing. So we're, we're trying to speak very, very specifically uh, based on the text from Sunday. Some, I have, again, you'll have to tell me how things run here. We run on like a pretty structured schedule. So like 6.30 to 6.15, I'm sorry, 6.30 to 7.15, we eat. Um, 7.15 to 7.45, we're doing life updates. 7.45 uh, to 8.30, we're talking about the text. 8.30 to 9 p.m., we're praying for each other. Then we go home. So that has helped us, we, having that, that more uh, structured time together. Um, we have found that if we don't do that, it just kind of turns into social hour. And it just kind of dissolves into people just talking about whatever and catching up. So we've, we've, we've kind of implemented that time. And it, you know, what's hard to do is when I have a room full of people in my church who all love each other, they're all catching up, and I, man, it's time to talk about the text. And I have to say, okay, everybody, you don't know, have to raise my voice. Everybody, move it in here. We're going to talk about the sermon now, you know. And, oh, okay, you know. And, uh, but you, we just have to do that. We have to, we have to lead in these ways. Um, to, to, if, we're tr if we're trying to accomplish, if it's just a hangout time, then let it be just that. But that's, that's not why we're here for community group. We actually have goals in mind for what we want to do. Um, so yeah, we'd spend time talking about the sermon. And you, and you learn to draw people out. You learn to, there are certain people I'm comfortable calling on on the spot now. Like, hey, what do you think? Like, and I know that they're not going to be bothered. There are certain people in my group I would not do that to because they're going to, you know, they're going to really feel pressure to like talk in front of people. And that would make them really nervous. So you just kind of get, you know, you get to feel that as you go. We do encourage, we want our community groups to engage in service. Um, so th that can be service within the group, like helping the family move, who needs to move. But also we encourage our community groups to find some, to find some avenue, some place in the city to actually serve the city of Bozeman so that our church has a presence in the city. Maybe it's uh, volunteering at the soup kitchen or the food bank um, maybe it's, we're going to choose, we're going to choose this street and we're going to, like in, in the autumn, um, this, I, I'm going to, I'm going to ask a dumb question. Do, do your, do your trees lose leaves in the fall? Do the leaves fall off the trees and then grow back? Some trees do. Okay. Yeah. So it, yeah, we, so when, anyway, all the trees will, that's happening right now, actually, everyone's lawns are going to be full of leaves because all of the trees lose their leaves every fall and um, we have a lot of elderly people in our city so let's pick a neighborhood and go rake everybody's we rake their leaves up put them in bags take care of them for them so they don't have to and just uh, let them know hey we're from Emmaus Road Church we just wanted to serve you in this way hope you have a great day and that's it so we, we look for avenues to serve the city and we leave that up to community groups to kind of one community group might um, they might choose a, a an assisted living home right, or, or, like, or like a nursing home and because it's, it's I don't again, I don't know how it is here. Um, it's, it's very common for people to, when their parents get elderly, they put them in an assisted living home and they visit them maybe once a month. I mean, they just, it's, I have a lot of opinions about that, but they don't get visitors, they don't have friends. And so, man, when a group from a church comes into a, a, to 
an assisted living home with a lot of elderly people and just spends a couple of hours talking to them, playing checkers with them, uh, hearing their stories from them. That, that, man, that ministers to people. And it's so, these things are free. They cost us nothing but our time. And so anyway, we, we encourage all of our community groups to find avenues to serve both within the group and serve the community. I talked a bit already about how our community groups should um, care for each other. And again, uh, right here, the, the more we get to know each other, the better equipped we will be to pray specifically, encourage intentionally, and speak in a timely way to the needs and situations faced by everyone in our community group. So again, as we grow in relationship, we grow in ability to serve one another because it's always personal. We always know each other. Um, and like I said, that whole first line of defense thing, um, we are looking out for each other most closely. Another example, and it's not always bad things, another example is um, <laughs> if, you, if, you, if you were to visit our church any time in the next couple of years, you'll notice we have a small army of babies and toddlers. We have had a baby boom. When, when we first planted the church, we, uh, probably two-thirds of the church were single college students, and they bring a lot of energy. They don't bring a lot of money. <laughs> and um, so we started praying, God, would you please bring married, married couples to our church? And, and because God has a sense of humor, he didn't bring married couple to, couples to our church. He married couples in our church. I just, I counted, I, by the time this year is over, I will have done seven weddings in our church. Last year was seven, four the year before that. So we've just been marrying people all the time. And now they're all having kids and starting families. So we have a lot of babies. Um, so I, I share that to say, that, that, is, that is good coffee. I share that to say, when, say, a, uh, a woman becomes pregnant and is expecting a child, it's the community group that is going to, without being asked, we're going to be preparing meals for her and her husband, like for the first two weeks after the baby's born so they don't have to cook. Um, we're going to do a baby shower for them, for her, um, without being asked to. We just know this is something we're going to do. We're going to care for them. Um, someone in your community group graduates from college, your community group is celebrating with them. You're probably going to throw them a, a, a party, you know, that sort of thing. So we're, we're, we're celebrating with each other, we're caring for each other, that sort of thing. And again, the, the men leading the community groups, that's who we are looking to as we consider growing our leadership team, as we consider who, who is our next elder. That's where we're looking first, the men who, um, who are already shepherding in this community group setting. Um, so they serve in that regard as well. Let's see. Um, here's a, yeah, let's see. Do community groups ever multiply? Yes, they do. In fact, we are adding two this week. This week, we added two more community groups, which is great, um, which is part of the path toward multiplying an entire church. So we have, our town is not large. It, well, our town is large by Montana standards. We have 50,000 people. That's a, that's a very big town in Montana. Um, we now have six community groups all over the a, a town of 50,000, which is pretty good. And the neighbors know what we're doing and they see all these cars show up to houses and we invite them and these sorts of things. So 
we are increasing, our church is, is growing in its influence. It's an excellent way uh, to let the city know that you are there and to, um, uh, and to interact with them as well. So yes, community groups do multiply. Ours is, when everybody shows up to ours, we're like 20 people, which is too large. And so I am in the process of thinking through, okay, who's going to, when we multiply, who's going to take over? Who's going to take on the next one? Um, so yes, they do multiply based on maturity and ability. Um, I try to think of a nice way to say this. Hey, look, the leaves are falling off the tree. There we go. Yeah. Maturity and ability. Um, when a community group multiplies, you do want to put some thought, and you want it, you want the help of the elders with this. If you're not an elder yet, at that point. Um, who is going to stay and who is going to go? Because, the, because both groups need to have some mature people in them to help keep the discussion going and that sort of thing. And they both need a solid leader. So I, I've been, we've had, we've had the numbers to multiply my community group for probably a year and a half, but I just, I don't have another man in my group who I feel confident in to go, to go lead if we were to multiply. So we've been waiting. We've been waiting for that man. I think I have him now. But they need to, there needs to be maturity, and there needs to be a strong leader, the ability, and they need, you know, um, they need the basic capacity to carry out these rhythms. So they need a place to meet. Uh, they need the ability to gather, so it has to work with the schedule, and they need people. Um, yeah, so anyway, just once everything's in place, yes, we responsibly, are, so that's part of our goal, is, not, is that they not be static, part of of growing the church and um, move and working toward another church plant is in, is multiplying community groups absolutely the community group leader yeah let's let's talk about the community group leader he should be uh, a man we asked the, got to ask the question early on can a woman lead a community group no not at our church because we've decided that uh leading a community group is kind of a training ground for becoming an elder. So no, we, we have men lead them. Uh, who, he needs to be a member of the church, a member in good standing. Uh, and he needs to be invited by the elders. The elders need to approach that man and ask him. Um, and, and you know, a guy, a man is not out of line if he comes forward and says, I would lead a community group sometime. That's, that's fine, that's not out of line. But my point is the el someone can't just go start a community group without the elders approval is my point. We, we need to be in on that. Um, he already needs to be a part. This, this is a big one. The man who leads a community group needs to already be participating. And, and, and guys, this is so important. You might have someone come to your church who has theology degrees and all of these things, and they might walk into the church and think they should immediately be a leader. They shouldn't. They shouldn't. As tempting as that is, they, they need to take the time to prove to you that they care about these people in this body. And they're going to do that by participating in what you already have in place. We're so glad you're here. Why don't you think about joining a discipleship group or join a community group? And maybe in six months, it's like, okay, this person is consistent. We think he's joined the church. He's here. He's here. He's, he is for these people. Yeah, we could consider it. Okay, so we have a guy right now. He just moved to Bozeman to take, he, he's the principal of the biggest um, Christian school in our county, and it, it's been there for a long time. 
So he's in a very prominent position. He's very smart theologically. Um, he has been a, a music leader at another, a solid Christian church in Salt Lake City for the last 13 years. So he has a lot of experience in the church, all these things. But, but for us, he's new. We're, we're just getting to know him. He's only been here for a couple of months. And I really appreciate him. When he came in, he said, hey, I just want to let you know. He's like, please don't ask us to, like, uh, uh, we, we just, we, we just want to jump into the church. I, I won't, if you ask me to help with anything, like in leadership, I won't even answer you for the first six months. I just, we just want to get to know the church. I said, that's great. I said, that, that's exactly what we want. So you need, a man needs to, like, uh, like Timothy with Paul. What does Paul say about Timothy? I have nobody like him. And then why? This is in Philippians. What does Paul mean? He explains. I have no one like him. For Timothy has proven himself. He's proven himself. Can you prove yourself overnight? No, it takes time. It takes time to prove yourself. Being consistent and faithful in the little things. So when a hot shot shows up to church with a PhD and everything and, hey, I want to get involved. Great. Could you take out the garbage? <laughs> you know, give somebody something small to be faithful with and see how they do. If they really love this church body, if they're really faithful, they will help wherever they can. Um, again, another expression from my dad. This is a good one. He says, um, you learn how much of a servant somebody is when you treat them like one. It's like, oh, you say you're ready to serve? Okay, I'll treat you like a servant. We'll see how it goes. If you are truly a servant, you will respond very well. Anyway, so um, anyway, let a man prove himself is the point. The community group leader specifically, he's responsible for, yeah, I mean, I like, so I, I'm, like, I'm, I'm the lead pastor. I'm the senior pastor of the church, but also I lead a community group. So I'm emailing that group at least once a, um, once a week. Um, the community group leaders uh, stay in touch with the elders. So as what we do, we have a, a lunch once per month when the elders and all the community group leaders get together for a meal and we talk, how's it going? How's community groups going? Uh, what challenges are you facing? What have you found that has worked? That sort of thing. So we don't, we don't just make somebody a community group leader and say, like, okay, Faisal, yeah, you got this community group. Have fun. Let us know if you need anything. We, we don't do that. We, we are spending time with you. We're checking in with you at least, at least on that monthly basis. We're having a meal together just to talk about community groups. Um, yeah, please don't make the mistake of putting someone in charge of something and then just leaving them alone in, in anything, not just community groups. Uh, stay, closely, stay close in touch with them. Because otherwise, what will happen, they will face a hard thing, but they'll think, oh, I can't go. I don't want to go to the elders every time there's something hard. I don't want to bother them. No, no, the culture needs to be, no, please come bother us. Please come bother us. We, we want to be helpful. Um, yeah, the community group leader basically serves as a, as a shepherd to his people. He's checking in with them. He's praying for them, all these sorts of things. He should, I put it this way. The community group leader should have his finger on the pulse of the lives of those in his community group. Should know what's going on, generally speaking. Whether that's life changes, events, crises, celebrations. Um, 
because again, that gives you a platform to care for somebody. Um, yeah, these temporary systems of care, like a meal train for those with an illness, new child or another need, helping move somebody, we talked about that. And like I said, I think I said this yesterday, um, no matter what you do in the church, you should always be thinking, if I get hit by a truck tomorrow, who will replace me? You should always be thinking that. Even, even if your job is taking out the garbage. Well, that's, an <laughs> that's an important detail. Especially if, you, if, you, if your church meets in a place that you don't own, but you're renting and you need to leave it clean. It sounds simple. It, it, it's a big deal, having people to clean the space. I mean, every little detail matters. So we should always be thinking of our replacement. In short, the community group leader is a level of immediate care to the people of his community group. He speaks to the elders on behalf of the community group, and he works to care for the people of his community group, as well as keeping the life of the community group moving and healthy. And if he needs to step away, he, he can and absolutely should do that, and that's this last paragraph just talks about the best way to do that. Um, these, this document is on our Google Classroom, and so is the Discipleship Leader's Guide. I just, I want you guys to have those as a resource for the future. Um, even if you don't look at it for another six years, but you think, oh, didn't we talk about that? Or maybe we could do something, pull it out, you know, get it. If you've lost it, email me, I'll send it to you. Again, not because it's the best or perfect way to do things, but maybe there's some things in there that are helpful to you, and maybe it gives you some sort of framework to start thinking through, okay, what, what, what can the life of the church look like beyond Sunday? Sun, Sunday is a big deal. What can the life of the church look like beyond Sunday in homes, in coffee shops, when, when my brother and I go to Zing now for coffee in our discipleship group? Yeah. This is really good. Does that, gen does that make sense? There is what, um, what we do with community groups, does that make sense? You guys, you guys following? Let me, give me just a little bit of feedback. Overall, how do you feel like something like this would go? Here, how do you, and, and, and again, maybe you're doing something very similar to this already, that's excellent. How, how would this, would this work, or what changes would you make to better suit to suit you or, or to suit this place, this city. So, so, and some of you, who wants to go to unreached people? I, I forget. Yeah, like, like very rural, like more rural, smaller places. You know, walking in the first day and, hey, we're here to plant a church, join a community group. What? You know, so I mean, this, this might, this is not plug and play for everything, right? But, um, uh, but again, my goal is to, is to help you to start thinking through, okay, but maybe this doesn't work exactly, but we sh the church body should have life together more than just Sunday, just so for you to start thinking, what can that look like? What can we do? What would be most appropriate to where I'm going? What, well, I don't know. What, yeah, what else do you guys think? Is this, is this helpful? And do, are you already having some ideas for... How it, how it might work or might not. Yeah. Good question. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that's a great question. So in other words, should the elders just like assign people or, yeah, we, we have not done it that way. 
what we have done, we, let me think, we started with, I think, two groups. When we planted the church, we started with two, and they were on different nights. And so we said, if you can come Wednesday, go to this one. If Thursday is a better night for you, go to this one. So, so we, did it, we did it based on schedule. Now, this is just a thought. In a city like this, you might want to do it based on location. Because I, I've learned from talking to you all that it takes a long time to even travel one or two miles by, by car in the city. Um, so may, maybe location is a better way. Like, hey, we have, we have a community group in this neighborhood and one in this neighborhood. So that way it's easy maybe for people to, so like, so let me, in my city, again, only 15,000 people, but it's spread out over 19 square miles. So it's actually quite a large area, but people drive everywhere and it only takes 15 minutes to get from one side of town to the other. And we even have two of our community groups are in Belgrade, Montana, which is the next town next to us. Um, and it, but so we have people in Bozeman who go to the community group in Belgrade because it, it's better for their schedule. So I would be thinking through what's the better way to do this based off of location or based off of schedule. And then what we did when we just launched two new groups, we said, hey, church, we need to make sure that we have at least enough people to start these two groups. So we, we actually created sign-up sheets for every single group and say, after church, here are these different sheets of paper, each one for a different community group. Whichever group you're going to be a part of, please go put your name down and email address. And people did that. And as long as, as, long as a sheet of paper had at least eight names on it, we said, okay, we're just going to start. Um, so, so anyway, my short answer is we, we did not assign people to a specific group. Um, in, in, in a place like this, it might make more sense to base them off of location. I'm just thinking off the top of my head. I don't know. You, you all tell me. Because someone's not going to drive across town. R right? I mean, that, would, that can take forever. It can take a very long time, can't it? Maybe it does. Yeah, Th that's that's how I would be thinking, Brian. At least in in this in this setting, it would be. Let me tell you. So this is. You, you're going to gasp. At our church, they they have since moved to Bozeman, but we had one family. I need to actually do the mileage. Hold, wait, you just wait. I'm going to actually Google how many miles it is, so that I'm accurate. Yes, yes. I, is it, is it back? Okay. Um, okay. Okay, are you ready for this? We had one family in our church, mother and father and four children, and for six, and they wanted to join our church so badly, and they were wa they were waiting to move, but they had to sell their home first, and all of this. Every Sunday, this is one direction. This is not round trip from their home to ours. 
they were driving 196 kilometers <laughs> to come to church. Yeah. One hundred, one hundred ninety-six kilometers. So, so, so one hundred twenty miles. But, but again, but again, that's you guys. That's that's my context. You have to understand where I'm at. Everything is divided by geography, by valleys and rivers and mountains. So people drive along, along, like for sporting events. Kids in high school. They might have to drive three hours to play the, ne the closest basketball team to them because some towns are spread out so far. Not the case here. You guys are talking about some place might only be one or two miles away in a straight line, but um, it could take a long time to get there. Yeah. So I think it, it probably makes more sense here to base things off of geography. I would, yep, but I, those are the things I'd be thinking of. 